there's a whole new equality that's been created across the globe uh, within a, also learning and training, but everything, I guess, everyone's equal when they're on a virtual session. Um, and that makes it m much more powerful and much more possible for us to diversify the conversation. I'm David Green, and this is episode one of series 17 of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. You just heard Peter Manikariba, Head of Digital Learning and Analytics at Novo Nordisk, speaking about how the shift to remote work and digital ways of working has, in many ways, democratized learning and made it more inclusive. Great learning experiences should deliver value to the individual by opening up new opportunities. Great learning experiences should also create value for the organization. Learning has to come with a question, how is this going to provide value in the business after people have taken it? The next question will then be from me, and how are you going to measure that? So which indicators in the business are you going to want to see a change in when distributing this training or learning intervention? Throughout this episode, Peter and I discuss what a great learning experience looks like and how it delivers value to the business. We talk about how to measure the business impact of learning using business indicators and data that already exists in the organization. We also look at how to focus on the ethics of analyzing learning data to deliver value, not only to the business, but to the individual employee as well. And finally, we also look at what we mean by data-driven learning design and why it's so important. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Peter Manika Riba, Head of Digital Learning and Analytics at Novo Nordisk, the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Peter, it's great to have you on the show. Can you provide listeners with a brief introduction to, to you and your role at Novo Nordisk? Hi, David. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, absolutely. I've been working at Novo Nordisk for a little bit more than two years now as the head of digital learning. And then they added analytics uh, just six months ago, just to ramp that up a bit to get, get more attention to, to the learning analytics bit. So, yeah. And before that, I used to work at uh, Siemens Gamesa in the wind industry, also with digital learning. And prior to that, also other digital learning jobs, which won't be relevant for this conversation at all. But that, that's the history of me. Obviously, you've been in the digital learning space for a while. Uh, an area that had been growing prior to the pandemic, but has almost exploded in the in the last 20 months. I mean, what are some of the, the, the key things that you're seeing in that field before we sort of delve deeper into, into learning? Yeah, well, there is no doubt that when COVID really hit us, uh, we needed to change the whole operating model around around the learning and training space. Every, everything had to go virtual, like not overnight, but almost, right? Um, so fortunately, our infrastructure was ready to handle that transition, um, which is which is one part of the equation. Then there's all the people who are used to going to training face to face and and really enjoyed that, and maybe also felt like they had maybe a better experience and a better product from that, and had to go completely virtual while everyone was tiring through all the zoom calls and, and team microsoft team calls and, and all that stuff at the same time everything happened behind the screen um so that that did require some other things from our infrastructure and also from the people who were going to still focus on upskilling training learning stuff that was a whole new uh, adventure um adventure is probably not the right word but it was it was a different world wasn't it so that hit us absolutely hit us um 
and has been quite an, an, a journey. Uh, we've learned a lot from it, um, but we're not done with it, you know with that yet, yet. It's still completely virtual with us. Slowly moving back to some of it will be classroom, but going forward, obviously, we'll take a good hard look at at which format do we actually need to use, and there are other things in that equation related to travel um, sustainability around our learning and training as well so interesting interesting world yeah very interesting it's um you know it almost seems uh, i mean what are some of the big differences you see in in digital learning versus classroom learning is it is it something around the, the style of learning is it the, the length of the sessions i mean we'd love to hear some of the sort of key differences that you see yeah um and, and i think what, what we need to underline is it it's, it's not new uh, digital learning has been around for a couple of decades and and maybe even even more if you count other formats into maybe some of the asynchronous things that's been done but i think um it is a different game because when you're in a classroom you can feel people you've got an atmosphere you've got dialogue you've got constant um presence which you can't really replicate very well in the virtual space yet. So it's other things that you need to do. But that doesn't mean that you can't design your learning experience uh, to the format. What you just don't want to do is just to copy it one-to-one. And I, I think that that's what we, what we need to make sure that we design our learning experiences to the things that we can do very well in the, in the virtual space. And then we, we leave some of that that we know works very well in the classroom. We leave that back in the classroom because both formats um, are required and, and can do magical things within each of their contexts. It's just really important to be mindful around what works really, really well. And we're seeing great examples and less great examples of that. And I think that's where we need to mature as learning designers and as an industry to make sure that we're not just putting people in front of a screen and, and a talking head for four hours and people are really, really exhausted on the other end of those experiences, but that we mix it up and, and I, yeah, seen so many great great ways of doing that that sort of lends into the 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 next the next question really um i guess what we're going to see moving forward and maybe we'll talk about that a bit later well is it's going to be more blended i guess isn't it in terms of you know uh, but but opens up a lovely question you know obviously your experience in this space what does a good learning experience look like to you that's a really good question um because it (laughs) and the 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 not so great answer would be it really depends, um, but I think, <laughs> but but it does always take departure in people's concerns and needs. Um, so always address what people are concerned about and what they need, um, and I think that 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 point of departure you'll never fail. So that learning experience, obviously, and then there's the other spice to that is your is your level of creativity. How do you really solve? the problems for people, those concerns and needs, how do you address them? Because if you listed them down and and people need to feel safe, that would be one concern. They need to feel safe with this topic or whatever. How do you really make people feel safe? Can you do that virtually? Can you do that uh, in a classroom? Do you need to do other things? Do you send things? Do you have mentorships? Do you have conversations? And it's not your always your regular modalities like let's, let's make a video, let's do a PDF, let's do a classroom. Maybe it's it's different and and creative formats. Um, I've seen so many great examples of um, of of where you send physical things by mail to people. They open up that box and they go into their learning experience virtually with those assets that they've 
received um, as just one creative example of, of how you can spice things up. Also, linking people together virtually is much easier on a global scale in cultural understanding and getting other perspectives and reflections into training sessions that we couldn't do before because we had to fly people in and we were very reliant on that. Um, so there's a whole new equality that's been created across the globe uh, within a, also learning and training, but everything, I guess, everyone's equal when they're on a virtual session. Um, and that makes it m much more powerful and much more possible for us to diversify the conversation. So a good learning experience for me always departs in the needs and concerns that needs to be solved. And then that, that spice of creativity where you really use those formats that you know and maybe also explore new formats to address those concerns and needs. There was a, a long talk about <laughs> a learning experience, but um, it, it really has to hit those needs. And then first and foremost, if you want to make it memorable, you have and you want to make it memorable, then you need to make sure that you hit the spot on things that make stuff memorable which is rarely just reading text or, you know, uh, listening to someone talk about a topic in a, in a slide deck. Um, so unless they're dressed up as a crocodile or something like, something like that, uh, it'll probably not be super memorable. So the memorability is always something I, I, I try to champion, saying, guys, you need to make it memorable by doing something out of the ordinary to make it stick. And that's how the brain works, isn't it? So um, that's another, you know, another angle to that. I might well get the crocodile suit out of the, out of the wardrobe for my next learning <laughs> session. Yeah, <laughs> try it out. <laughs> I'm guessing that um, I suppose one one argument about the shift to obviously that the, the pandemic is called shift to doing more more digital learning uh, versus maybe classroom. It almost as you said, as you said, it kind of democratizes learning a little bit because number one, as you said, everyone's kind of equal in in many respects. But two, it also, as you said, it enables you to bring that global audience together, which might create a slightly more immersive learning experience than than maybe those that can get budget to, to fly to. I don't know if you do them, you know, all, all in Denmark. Obviously, you don't. You do them all around the world. But who has to fly? And there's the cost involved in, in doing that. And then some people have a constraints, of course, because maybe there's there's family or stuff that, that limits them from traveling somewhere for a week's, week's training course, whereas the Doing it digitally, of course, it, it helps people. Um, so it's more inclusive, I guess, in some reason, in some respects as well. I think that's the biggest win, actually, um, for us in digital learning is that all of a sudden we had and we were ready with the infrastructure to democratize this across the globe, which means that people from regions of the world, which is mainly outside headquarters, all of a sudden had equal opportunities to access training and learning, which they hadn't uh, had before to the same extent. And also, when joining training and learning experiences, there was an equality immediately because you joined that same room on the same basis, right? And and started having conversations, whereas, as you said, others otherwise you'd, you'd have to travel around the world, and and be really flexible with other arrangements in your life. So, so there's there's obviously an advantage to that which we've harvested. We I don't think we quite understand yet what that means. Um, but we've definitely seen it through some of the data that we've seen on just consumption of learning that it's really skyrocketed in areas. There's really been a hunger in in areas outside headquarters to to start, you know, engaging in these activities, um, which they didn't have uh, the opportunity to do prior to COVID. Well, I think we'll probably explore a little bit more of that um, throughout the rest of our conversation. 
When we come back in just a moment, Peter shares his number one piece of advice to help your organisation get started connecting learning and development to business impact. Thanks to Degreed for sponsoring this series of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Degreed is a workforce upskilling platform for one in three Fortune 50 companies and connects all your learning, talent development and internal mobility opportunities to intelligence on the skills your business needs next. It does it all in one simple, fluid, skill-building experience that's powered by your people's expertise and interests, so you can transform your workforce from within. Founded in 2012, Degreed is headquartered in Pleasanton, California, with additional offices in Salt Lake City, New York, London, Amsterdam, and Brisbane. To learn more, visit Degreed.com. Welcome back to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast with Peter Manikariba, Head of Digital Learning and Analytics at Novo Nordisk. Now, back to the conversation. What sort of value does, and you may now start to talk to your inclusion of analytics into your role, I guess, over the last six months, you know, how does a great learning experience deliver value to the business? Yeah, that is a good question. And that's actually exactly the question, David, that we need to ask all the learning designers um, who are, you know, doing programs or learning interventions, planning uh, those things out, or even just distributing videos from LinkedIn Learning or wherever it is. Training has to come with that question. Learning has to come with that question. How is this going to provide value in the business after people have taken it? The next question will then be from me. And how are you going to measure that? So which indicators in the business are you going to want to see a change in when distributing this training or learning intervention? That's really the question. And it seems simple to ask that question, but it's a difficult one to answer. That requires that that person who is designing the program knows what's available, what can I actually measure? And also there's a huge mountain that people, and that's some of the things that I'd love us to, to demystify a little bit here today is also, how do you really get a hold of that data and how do you crunch that data to make it meaningful in your context and actually see, is the needle moving? Are we improving the things in the business that we set out to do with this? Yeah, and I, th- I think we can definitely dive into some of that because obviously you are a learning, you know, have designed plenty of learning and, and I'd love to understand from, from, from you and maybe you've got some specific examples at Novo Nordisk around how you've understood what the business indicators it is that you're trying to affect through 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 training and then how you design the course to to deliver on those and then how you measure afters it it would be great to see if you've got some examples around that yeah well we definitely do um and i think it's it's i can't get completely specific but we can do um we can make a a couple of examples of let's say you've got a a lean training that you want people to go on now um lean obviously we'd need to go in and ask the the subject matter experts because i'm not a lean expert um which measurables and luckily within the lean uh, framework we've got a lot of me- measurables like waste time all sorts of effectiveness uh, effectiveness uh, measures that's actually already being done in the in when rolling out lean right so if you want to train people on let's say eliminating waste that would be one module that you'd say this is what we need to get people better at it's so um, easy uh, to think, uh, how can we get a baseline on that saying, what's, what are the numbers? What do they look like today? Are we measuring waste? 
hopefully we are. If we're not, then let's get started doing that. That's the first conversation we will have. And then we'll take a look at which, which target group are we distributing this learning intervention to and uh, how to then measure and how do we get close to what they can affect. Um, because, and this is, this is another aspect that we'll probably talk about as well, it's really difficult to get causation in the picture. So we can't say, because people weren't, went to this lean, lean uh, waste uh, elimination training, then waste reduced by 50%. We cannot do that. The human being is so much more complex than that. <laughs> we do irrational things. We do rational things. Um, and, and there are so many other things that could have affected that variable. So we, we do not know, we cannot prove that our training actually made the, di the difference. But what we can say is whether the training contributed to the, um, the difference uh, before and after um, And, and, and that's enough. And we can actually, over time, when we get enough data and put it into enough context with enough people, we can start predicting what will happen if we put a training in like this. The probability of our waste elimination uh, or the waste numbers will actually do this and that. Um, so, And that's the journey we're starting, is to try and put training into a context where we have control of the uh, somewhat control of the environment and the numbers. And then we see what happens, and then we try to repeat that. And, and the more we try to repeat that in the, in, in the context, the more certain we'll be uh, with time that this learning intervention will actually change uh, things to the better. Um, and, and that's what we're trying to do. And that could be on any topic. So the measurements, and, and I'm, I'm just going to try and get really specific because this, this always gets people thinking like, how can, I, how can I relate that to my own business? But in any business, you'll, you'll have sales, right? Sales is an easy win to start out with. You've got sales, it goes up and down, and you can actually track that down to individuals. Um, obviously, you'd have to adhere to all GDPR regulations, which we are as well. So we're not exposing any individual data. We're, we're really just looking at trends within groups of people. Um, but you can say pretty straightforward, is this training contributing to sales growth or the opposite or nothing at all? Um, and you've got production efficiency. So you, you've probably got all numbers on how your production facilities, if you're a production company, how that's working. You've got customer service. You're probably also measuring uh, satisfaction on that. Um, you've even got people well-being, which I think is a major uh, underrated factor is um, when we're doing training and learning, is that contributing to people's uh, well-being or not? And we've got a lot of training and learning interventions, which, which is about people's ability to, to work efficiently, but also Um, be emotionally present and 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 feel good about working in the company, right? So 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 many different measures that you can that you can just go to the business and you'd have probably in most most businesses you'd you'd have those numbers available somewhere. So you need to make friends within IT uh, quickly within the data science community if you've got one of those. Um, but just in the sales divisions, production facilities. Go talk to people and ask them, where are the numbers? Where are you logging this? And how can I get access to this? Um, yeah, so, so many opportunities. When you then got a list of measurables that you can go to your learning designers and say, guys, when we're doing training within project management, these measures could actually be relevant for you guys to, to include. Or if it's a lean training or something else, that will get learning designers thinking. Because I think that is probably the biggest hill for us um, in the learning community in general is 
we need to start thinking about these things when we design learning and training. And it doesn't have to be super complicated. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, if you just look at analytics or people analytics in general is what, you know, what are the outcomes we're trying to affect? You know, and one of your examples there is around sales performance. So, okay, so, okay, so let's bring it to people. What are the people elements that can, can impact on sales performance? And learning could be one of those indicators. And, you know, and, and as you said, it's, it's, it's about understanding, well, you know, if we can see that our high performance in sales, for example, have undertaken, you know, these, this series of learning versus maybe others that aren't as high performing haven't. And we've got these other indicators as well. You can start to, you can start to, as you said, to draw some conclusions, perhaps, but not necessarily causation, because as you said, it's so many different things could come together. If you can identify the main thing, so another example could be around, I don't know, tenure in role, couldn't it? Um, yeah. Another example could be around manager. Um, a business element element of sales could be, if you're working in a complex sales environment, how many how many customer uh, opportunities are you running at the same time there's lots of different things that come together and if you can identify some of those in sales you can actually bring that into the into the design of the learning tool so so for example to be a more effective salesperson it might be don't try and run 30 deals at, at, at once we've seen that our highest performing salespeople in the area that you are are running i don't know 15 or something like that i mean so there's probably not a magic number it's probably a, a, a number of areas and how can we help you to do that effectively um so it's, it's it's thinking like that and as you said talking to the people that are in that part of the business to who understand that business maybe talking to some high performers and bringing them into the sales uh, into their learning uh, design and stuff like that as well so we hope you're enjoying this episode of the digital hr leaders podcast if you're looking to continue your learning journey head over to myhrfuture.com and take a look at the myhr future academy It's a learning experience platform supporting HR professionals to become more data-driven, more business-focused, and more experience-led. By taking our short assessment, you'll see how you stack up against the HR skills of the future. Then, our recommended learning journeys guide you every step of the way, helping you to close your skills gaps, deepen your knowledge, and press play on your career. Now let's go back to the conversation with Peter, where we discuss learning design in more detail. I mean, if it, so, if you're speaking to some of your peers, you know, and, and you've talked to some, some 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 great ideas here already, you know, if you had to give them a starting point for connecting L and D to, to business impact, what would be your number one piece of advice um, to listeners that are looking to do that? So they may be working in learning design themselves, or maybe they work with colleagues that. Are, yeah, um, and this depends on your setup, uh, because some some are fortunate, like me, uh, being part of a, a global organization that really prioritizes data, um, also in the HR and, and people function, and the learning function as well. I've I've got a, a data person in in my team specifically, which is a huge advantage because then you can start. And this is actually this was the starting point for us was to start making start doing a strategy on how you want to use data. Because you're going to need it down the road. When you start collecting data, it's a great idea to start uh, with a foundation of what you actually can get and then build on that going forward instead of tackling something that will probably take you 18 months to get in the beginning and then don't get anywhere on all, all the other things. 
So start start addressing what you actually can do. So look at your own learning systems. What data can you deduct from them today? It's probably limited what you're getting in, in the reporting, uh, in the generic reporting from that system. So go deeper. Ask them for uh, CSV outputs, just like <laughs> spreadsheets with data on consumption for your people. And then get someone, uh, either from your team, uh, to upskill themselves within uh, Alteryx uh, and Power BI. And that's going to go, that's not going to, it's not a huge thing. It's not, it's, I mean, I've even taken courses like that and I'm hopeless. So, I mean, you guys can learn it as well and put some, some, some data um, in a couple of flows and get that mirrored out in a dashboard on your own consumption within the systems that you control. That's going to make you a lot smarter. When you then go to your people function, you ask them for things like, can I take a look at age, tenure, gender, um, do we have any personality profiles that we can expose here where, where we're not doing it individually, but in trends and groups as well? How many uh, fiery red persons do we have? How many blue persons do we have? And, and trying to combine that, right? So we've got geography. Where are people working out of? We can get more specific if you've got access to salary data as well. It's also interesting to start uh, correlating with that. Uh, bonus uh, performance uh, could also be interesting to get from, from your people and, and rewards function as well. And again, have to underline that it's so important to to know what you're doing with within data quality, data privacy, and and that whole space. We need to make people's data safe, and and understand how we do that before we go into these things. But look at your own learning systems. Look at HR systems as well. A couple of of home turfs to start out with, um, crunching data on, and then. It's a matter of growing your network in the business. As I said, go to the production facilities, go to the sales departments, go to IT, ask them, when someone sells a product, where is that logged? And how can we get a, a hold of that data? It's really that, that, that down to earth. And you'll probably be sent around the organization a couple of times before you end up with that right person. But you need to grow your network. At the end of the day, at the end of the rainbow, there'll be a data lake where you will put all your data from the learning systems on that lake, connect it to the data from the HR systems and the people functions, and then you'll get all the business functions to feed into that data lake as well. So we can all start uh, materializing from having that collective data lake where we can start making hypotheses, conclusions, dashboards, and all sorts of other things from. So taking it from zero to 100, start with your strategy. What data points can you get? What data points do you want? How far do you need to go to get them? What's your expectation? And then start building out from there. Um, yeah, that, that's, it's, it sounds pretty simple. Obviously, there's a lot of, of hills on that. You know, it's, it's not a straightforward path, but it's, there's nothing stopping you from getting going on that journey. No, no. So, I mean, some really good points I'd like to put out there. Number one, you know, connect what you can do now with maybe some challenges that the, that the business has got and, and start to show their value. I think that's, that's, a, that's a great tip there. I, I love what you're saying around, you know, network within the organization, you know, build relationships with stakeholders. Yes, sometimes that's colleagues in, in the people department, uh, in other areas of, of, of the people team that you've got there. Other times that's going to be business leaders themselves, people actually in sales, in production. And other times it's going to be other data owners within the business as well, you know, and, and finance and IT. I think you've talked about all of those. So, so, so important. And then I love what you said around the, the data ethics um, piece, you know, the, the privacy part. And I think with learning, 
um, in particular, you know, ultimately, yes, if we can if we can get some insights from from the data, that clearly delivers value to the business. But it also delivers value to the employees as well, the individuals. And what we really talk about with the work we do at Insight Two 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 is, you know, when it comes to ethics, is there is there a fair exchange in value for collecting that data on on the employee? And if you can show that and communicate that there is value in 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 collecting and analysing that data, probably aggregating the results as well. How much is that going to help someone in sales? To our example before, if they can understand. And what do I need to do to be a high performer in sales? You know, and, and how can the organization help me to do that? Through learning being obviously one of the key routes for that. Because ultimately, that delivers more high performance in sales, delivers a lot of value to the company, but it delivers value to the individual as well. Because obviously, yes. you know, financially as well, typically with a sales role as well. So, so yeah, some really, really good, really good stuff there. Um, we've spoken you know, quite a bit about, you know, and I think you've really brought to life about the role that data and analytics um, plays in L&D already. You know, can you tell us a little bit more about data-driven learning design? You know, what is data-driven learning design and, and why is it so important and increasingly becoming more important? Yeah, well, I mean, um, there are people out there who can who can speak better to this and has done that over time. And I'm learning learning from uh, Laurie Niles Hoffman is, is one of them talking about data driven learning design. Um, there's a little bit of a discussion saying is it data driven, data informed? Doesn't really matter for me. The most important thing is that we we use data in our learning design. So when looking at consumption patterns for target groups in our organization, saying we need to a cohort to go on a program, we'd love to know. What are they already consuming? What skill interests do they have? How proficient are they feeling within these different skills? Um, and where do we actually start when we do our learning interventions? That's that's one point of data we can actually just get from our learning systems where people put in their skill needs and you know all their consumption is tracked on the learning systems anyway. So we know what they're interested in, uh, formats, duration, all sorts of, of, of things. We can run that across... Uh, genders, tenure, uh, age, all sorts of things. So we might be able to, in our learning design, to diversify um, and also uh, take into account when we distribute formats, um, which target group needs what experience. So we can actually diversify that experience pretty much without data. We can also look at uh, what people are talking about. Uh, now, that seem, that sounds really uh, big brotherish. It's not. But we are listening, as it's called, to private. No, not private. <laughs> that was wrong. Public, <laughs> we're listening to public conversations on Yammer, uh, and we're obviously again anonymizing everything, but looking into patterns of how people are using words. So if they're using a pattern saying this topic is really hot right now within this population, we'd be able to say, okay, and are they talking sentiments? Is it negative sentiment or positive? Are they talking positive about this or negative about this? Is it a problem we're trying to fix or is it something we're trying to build on? That information is also interesting when we do our learning design. So we, we, can, we can start out with a cohort saying, we know you guys are interested in this stuff because you're talking a lot about it. And, and we're seeing that you guys are pretty advanced within this as well. So let's start at this level. And then we can start testing from there. So that's going to inform our learning design as well. Um, obviously, um, there, there are a lot of other uh, things that we can take a look at. So where do we do distribute training and learning? Are people accessing from a mobile device? Are they accessing from uh, laptops? Are they accessing remote, on-site? Are they, you know, how is this actually running? Um, and are people, it, do they really decline a lot of meetings? Do they have a lot of meetings in the books already? Are they really busy people? 
well, do we then, what's the duration of our learning interventions? Do we do we adapt that to the target group as well? So there, there's so many data points that you can take a look at and you need to get used to as a learning designer to make that design data-driven. Um, but, but first and foremost, I believe that it has to derive from the line of business to, to some extent, right? So that we're acting on what's going on in the business. So sales is dropping in this market, or we can see the production efficiency is not as, as it used to be here, or safety is, is a problem here or whatever. And then we'll start acting on that and putting training and learning in pockets where it, it, it would help because training and learning doesn't always fix the problem. But we can definitely say more about what the state of the union is and what it is we're trying to fix in the business. Um, so let's let, you know, when we design learning, we've got a lot of, of data points that we can start driving our design from um, and then we also we can listen in on what people are searching for what people are talking about on a topic basis public anonymized um, and then also indicators from the business on how performance is doing and it sounds like you're using data as well to help personalize the learning experience for different people so you can understand maybe where they are today and the gap and obviously that's going to be different with different people and i guess le- preferences on how they learn as well Yes, um, but that's really diff- different. Um, I mean, I think we've we've kind of debunked the whole learning styles conversation by now. So um, people learn in different ways and on different timings with different, you know, different stages of their lives, days, whatever. So we can't say that the people react better to podcasts uh, or videos. It, it, it's really that's really a complex thing to actually try and state back to the correlation causation thing. We can't really prove that that's always the case. We need to diversify uh, that as well. However. I think what what this is also trying to address is a problem that we've had in L&D and still are having in L&D is engagement. Um, just getting people to actually click on those links and start doing learning is taking them out of their you know to-do lists and their jobs, which they're pretty busy in, right? People are always busy. So how do we get them to actually prioritize learning and development? Multiple factors are affecting that, you know, decision obviously um, but what we can do is based on the data that we have we can actually send you david a, a direct message automated saying hi david we know that you're really interested in in um, in python programming we also know that you're putting yourself on a scale from one to eight as a two so that's your starting point now here's the training that took 50 or 100 other people from skill level two to four or even better, here is the trainings that we, we actually did a correlation and said people are programming more proficient if they took this training and this training. Now, we believe that we can start sending out uh, targeted emails like that to you, that the relevance, because that's also really, really important that this is relevant for you right now. It also has to be part of your development plan. So we also took, we're also taking in account data on how you think your future looks like. What skills do you want to develop and why? Where are you going with your career? What's the next step for you? What's the, what's the competency or capability you want to develop? Tie that in and say, Ian, you know, David, we know that this is what you want to do because you've told us through all the data that we've got on you. Here's the stuff that's worked for other people or the business historically. We believe the probability is that you'll see this increase if you click this link. That's going to drive engagement. That's actually going to make you click that link. That's actually going to make you prioritize doing that learning or training intervention. At least that's what we believe. And we can see from our uh, stuff that we've done internally 
in, in pilot studies uh, in Novo Nordisk, that there's a 4.7 uh, times better chance that you actually do it if we personalize that message, as I just said. That's pretty significant. It is very significant, and, and it gets it gets the whole sort of topic around. And I know something you're clearly passionate about is the marketing side of learning. Yeah. So you know that's from an individual basis. I don't know. As you said, it, we know because the data that you've kindly shared with us, your preferences or where you want to take your career. Actually, this is where we're going in, in Novo Nordisk as well. These skills are particularly high in demand. And because you've got, a, you know, as you said, a rating of three or four on a scale of eight, we think you can get there within a period of two months. And, and, and these courses can support you in doing that. Maybe there's an element of a mentor as well. So that, that drives the individual. But what I'd love to hear from you is, is how you can market learning to the business and, and, and maybe expand on, on what you've already said on why it's important to do so. Yeah, um, and there's, there are two sides to that. Um, so you need your foundational piece in place first. And, and in, a, in a company, in a corporate, you, you need to get your stakeholders on board. And, and as in any other change management model, you need that top buy-in. You need that, that uh, role modeling from the top and also prioritizing this down, down, uh, downstream. Right? That's, that, that's absolutely paramount. You need your offerings in place. Um, so that, that house in order, that foundation just needs to be in place um, before you really can start doing some of that other stuff because otherwise people will probably take a look at your offering and say, what's that? I don't know. And how do I? They don't really trust you yet, right? So you need that credibility in, in, with your key stakeholders and, and, and in senior management. That buy-in just has to be in place. Once you've got that, you can start marketing, you know, um, through that you, your usual just overall branding of, of what you're doing. But as in any other market, and, and this I think is problematic outside and has been historically problematic to use data to target people with product offerings, they probably didn't know they needed. That's a problem because people did not, you know, actively accept that people could use that or companies could use that kind of data. People didn't know. Inside a company, it's different because one of the, the things that's, that's really different is that we're really trying to do this for the greater good. As you said, we're doing it for the good of the company. We're doing it to help and, uh, you know, for the individual. There's no downside to that. People won't be spending money they didn't uh, need to spend on something they didn't need. This is actually us using data to personalize and hyper-target messaging. So there's a greater capability or there's a greater possibility that you'll advance in your career that you get a salary increase, that you do better things with uh, the product or the company for the company, you'll be more sustainable, you'll be thinking of the environment, you'll be more IT secure, whatever it is, we will be able to hyper-target that to use there as a bigger possibility that you actually do the training and learning and that it'll also benefit the company because we've done that correlation across saying which training and learning activities actually does the trick. So, but we have to use marketing because people are so busy um, and historically we can't just get people to prioritize things unless they're really told to do it and when people are really told to do something it's it's not always from a it doesn't come from a place of motivation always which historically has led to learning experience that's been you know easy to forget and, and not so impactful so deriving from a place where we take a look at what people say to us that they need 
and want and what the business where the business needs to go with the key strategic capabilities as you mentioned where where do we want the company to go pairing those two things up you know the individual and the company and then hyper targeting the messaging saying this is exactly what you need to do because these things are aligned now go do it it's it fits in your development plan it's what the company needs you benefit from it your peers will benefit from it the world will be a better place it's just it just is is better um so but we need to do that through marketing yeah yeah just make it compelling for people you know tell them how it's going to help them i mean essentially isn't it so um which if you think about as a customer if you want someone to buy something or, or, or whatever action it is, what, what product or service you're offering, then you've got to compel them to do that. And obviously, the more you personalize that, the more likely people are to. I mean, I mean, I mean, I'm sure you've heard the phrase Netflix for learning many, many times. Yeah. But the relevant thing here is, is how does how do how do tools like Netflix and Amazon draw you in? Their data is so good that the, the recommendations that they make you know, people will will, will 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 take them up on it. I mean, I think, I, I don't know the exact number, but I, I'm pretty sure it's something like 30% of Amazon's revenue comes through its recommendation engine. So, but to get the recommendations right, you need the right data in the first place, which takes us back to the, the start of our conversation. Yeah, and that that's a, that's a really good point, by the way, because inside a company, and also when you talk about Netflix, Amazon, that's on the marketplace, we... You know, this is in, internal, so that means that people trust you probably a little bit more because it comes from internally. They, that it's you're kind of part of the gang, so um, you need to be really careful on how you handle that responsibility. We can't just go all in and 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 be super creative on all sorts of things, luring people in. We need to be really mindful of how to create that credibility and trust with our brand, and make sure that we don't try to shove things down people's throats, but we actually do this really mindfully. So we need to investigate. How often are people prone to, you know, to get this kind of information so we don't just overload their inboxes and and in what frequency so we're not disturbing them too much and and learning isn't everything. You've got a day job. So how do we how are we mindful in how we do this is probably what's on on top of my list right now because we could go all in, but it wouldn't be the right way to go about it. We need to be mindful and careful. Um yeah, and get that credibility. Last couple of questions. As I said, I think we could carry on this conversation for a lot longer, but we, we do try and keep to a normal length on, on, on the podcast. So as well as data savviness and, and marketing um, and communications capability, you know, what are the other skills that you would say are vital for the L&D function? And maybe maybe a nuance to that, what are the skills that really are becoming even more important? Yeah, um, and, and now I'm just speaking from from the perspective that I see uh, in, in our company, but also um, across my network. I think what's, what's becoming less and less important is your ability to create content. I think what's becoming more and more important is that you're able to curate content, um, which, which underlines that the content's pretty much already there most of the time. Uh, it may, may need a bit of a pivot to a different format or so, so um, that's definitely one one skill I'm seeing uh, on the rise is, is curation. How good are you at connecting learning interventions, items, whatever it is, into a pathway or plan or whatever journey for people? Um, that that's that's a key skill. Um, one of the other things that I'm I'm I think is is a little bit underrated is your ability to create an experience. Um, that's out of the ordinary or unusual or really, really, really well carried out. Um, 
I'm fortunately seeing so many good examples of internal academies in Novo Nordisk being done or specialist tracks or the innovator and, and stuff like that where you really like you're thrown back and say this is a, this is a remarkable experience. Someone has really thought through, used um, quite a lot of uh, of thinking time and 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 reflection on, on and user testing on on putting this together to become uh, inspirational and memorable and exciting to be part of. But that creative um, element is something that that's going to become even more important because there's going to, in my opinion. Um, this is just coming out of, of, of my perspective again. It's going to be less and less time for people to upskill themselves. And and if, if we're doing it in a virtual, more virtual setting going forward, duration of things will also be compressed, uh, is, is what I think. So when, when you're doing it, you really need to do it right. <laughs> and you really need to make it memorable. So apart from the marketing skills, the analytic skills, I'd say curation and, and learning experience design are, are two aspects of this that 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 I'm I foresee is going to be really important to L and D in the future. That's that's great. And the last question, this is the one we're asking everyone on on the series, and I'd really be interested in your take on this because I think what we're seeing a lot of doing analytics is doing is 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 it's connecting learning and workforce planning and skills together. So I'd love to hear your, as I said, your perspective. How can HR help the business? identify the critical skills for the future i don't have a crystal ball so i don't know what's going to happen in the future um but we, we can definitely try to deduct patterns from the organization in what people are interested in so that's skills what are people's skills levels today and what are their wishes for the future that's absolutely something we can help with we can start looking into what critical roles do we have and what capabilities do the, these critical roles need to have and what are their capabilities today? Do we need to go out and buy, borrow, or whatever we need to do, uh, build internally on the skills that we have going forward? So we can definitely help the business try and predict from their strategies and, and uh, the whole strategic piece of the company, what skills do we need for the future and map out what do we have today and how do we then get to that place? That's absolutely something we're working to do uh, today. Um, and on the learning bit where we're talking build, that's absolutely paramount. That's key in in that equation. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's 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 great, Peter, and and I, I completely agree. I mean, the opportunity to link skills and workforce planning together with learning is is a huge opportunity for companies. And I think we're only, you know, most of us are only probably scratching the surface of that at the moment. So, Peter, thanks very much for being a, a guest on on the Digital HR Leaders podcast. I've really enjoyed our conversation. I've actually learned a lot about learning design on that, and certainly be implying that in, in my own work, if that's okay. Uh, can you let listeners know how they can stay in touch with you and, and follow you on social media? Absolutely. Um, you can you can always reach out on LinkedIn. Uh, that's my primary Mary uh, platform I, I do not use Twitter or anything I can't I've got three kids so I can't really I can only stay one place that's what I have the time for and um, I do recommend you guys to because this is not you know this doesn't come out of my work all of this so I do recommend you guys to follow Nick Shackleton Jones um, Charlie Neen and also Laurie Niles Hoffman on um, on social channels because they are paramount to the inspiration that I get from from them is, is paramount to the work that we're doing so just want to recommend them as well that that's great and thanks very much for doing that Peter. i think ultimately everyone's looking to build a really powerful network so i think that advice is, is really helpful peter thanks very much for being on the show thank you yeah enjoy the conversation it was a pleasure thanks for having me thank you for tuning in to this episode of the digital hr leaders podcast i hope you enjoyed it 
If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show on your podcast app and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make the podcast. For more from us at Insight 222, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and our weekly newsletter at myhrfuture.com.